Hey there, and welcome to Minute 2 of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Minute. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. And this minute, Minute 2, begins with a title card showing the art directors and the backgrounds people. It's nonspecific. And ends with a big fancy book with some illuminated text, which we'll be talking more about as we get to that point in the minute. So this is the second minute of Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. Yes. Do you have anything to say about the first title card in this minute? Uh, Just that there's not enough animators for what this thing is. Like, this is amazing. Like, I have no small experience with animation. I grew up watching a lot of cartoons. I've engaged with a lot of cartoons throughout my entire life. Like, my entire life, I've been watching, studying, and, and engaging with it. If I were a better a better artist, I would love to be involved with that. But, you know, like, I know this stuff. Like, I grew up with this stuff. And this is not made with as small a crew as they have identified. They do not list everybody. They, list. like, this, the, this set of credits for Snow White and Seven Dwarfs is not as long as a list of credits that I would have seen as a kid watching Batman the Animated Series. Right. Like a a 22 minute TV episode would have more credits in the nineties than this is showing. I'm not saying that they did it with fewer people. I'm saying they're demonstrating, you know, credit to fewer people. Plus with, um, along with all the animators that I'm sure they left out, they left out all the inkers and painters who did all the detailed work for making sure that the colors were there. Which is really important work for this. Plus, I'm not sure if they did anybody, or if they listed anybody who did a lot of the camera work for the... Probably not. I don't think they have a cameras page. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have actors. Voice actors aren't listed. They don't have um, the performance references. No. I don't know what those are called. The performers who they were referencing um, like, for physical actions, physical actions, yeah. um, which we'll talk about more once we have action on screen. Basically they're the models for the characters. Yeah. Um, the, the physical movement models. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot that isn't in this that would be in it today. Like these credits would be much longer today. Right. And you, you can find pictures where they like take a photo of the entire team, like the production team that was working for Disney at the time. And it's a big crew. Like, There's probably a couple hundred, if not more, mm -hmm. in that one picture that we saw. Yeah. So there's not enough credits here. But it's nice that, you know, people got credit. And Disney was good about, like, taking care of his people. There's a reason they stayed with him. He paid what they were owed, gave them raises when they deserved them, and, you know, took good care of them. After this came out, people got you know, what they deserved, I think. Like, most people don't say anything negative about the outcome of that sort of stuff on this. So in that regard, people got what they needed. As far as credits on the film itself, not what everyone deserved. No. So after the first title card in this minute, then it has the list of animators. What is the, like, what do you think is the real difference between the uh, was was it the art animators or whatever? Uh, title so the first one sense? was was art directors and backgrounds. Art directors. So and, and backgrounds. art directors would be decision makers. They kind of run a team, I'm sure, yeah. or were running a sequence and had a team under them. So they were responsible to make sure that a sequence went well, and all the animators right. that were working on the sequence did what they needed to do. 
um, backgrounds, I think was specifically people who were working on the, um, the images that are the background images. So when something like this gets animated, it's a lot of actually stacked art that gets like a camera. They take a picture of it and that's a cell of film. Yeah. You would have like the main background of the artwork, then a character, then some other details. There's actually one with the wishing well where they have part of the wishing well missing so that Snow White can walk behind it. Right. Which is very interesting that they would pay attention to that kind of detail. But yeah, so not on not like I'm not surprised by it though. Yeah. So, you know, they're not drawing this entire thing. Someone has painted a background and there might be like two or three layers of background so that they can move a camera and they're separated by enough distance that you get a depth to it. You know, these might not be stacked immediately on top of each other. They might be on frames that are a few inches apart and it can stack, you know, a couple feet high before they take the picture. And, and each, each shot that they take is, you know, one frame and it's 24 frames a second, uh, for, for typical film, 24 to 27 frames a second, because our eyes register a certain amount. And so for it to, you know, be smooth, we need a certain number of frames per second for our eyes to accept it as motion. So they take, you know, 24 of those frames with a certain amount of minute motion in each one until they have one second. And that's only one second of film. And then they do, you know, however many seconds they're doing in a session in that, sh in that scene, in that shot or whatever. So it's a, it's a long process and they have to, you know, take the layers out, stack them back up, line everything up. And based on what we watched Disney, like their studio invented putting pegs on the board that was consistently punched so that everything would line up every time. Right. I believe so. I believe that's what we heard. And if they pioneered that, then like every animation since then owes them so much because that is crucial to getting everything to work. But if the camera work would, took forever, like imagine how, how long it took to get from just the basic outline of of the background and the characters all the way to the finished product. Right. And what you're talking about with like the painters and the inkers. So an artist might do all the drawing for like the sequence of motion that Snow White's going to do in, in we'll, we'll stick with one second for, so 24 pictures for this motion and an artist is drawing that on paper. And then an inker is taking a clear sheet and inking on top of that. And then a painter is painting inside those lines all on top of this art that someone else has done so that, so the artist is doing all the motion work and doing these lines An inker is laying a clear sheet on top of that and putting ink on that sheet, a painter's painting onto that sheet. And that sheet is then laid on top of a background. Right. But actually the painters paint on the backside of the sheet. So all the details like the eyes and the nose and some of the details on the dress or the clothes is, is visible. So they paint on the backside. Okay. So both sides of this clear sheet get paint mm -hmm. and then, or get one side gets paint, one side gets ink. Mm -hmm. And then that's laid on top of a background or a couple layers of background. And then there might be some foreground put on top of that. Like if she's walking behind a well, there's the background that's behind her. And then the foreground that is the well. And you can usually see a difference in the art 
of, of a background and foreground that isn't going to be in motion. That's something you see a lot more, I think, in cartoons in the 90s, is it's like obvious if something's going to be interacted with because the background is just a different texture, which doesn't happen so much in this. Like, I don't notice it as much. A lot of the work is very, very carefully done so that it's not obvious when something is going to be moving. Yeah, and with each scene, they had to have basically a script for how it's supposed to be laid out for the for the shot of the, mm -hmm. of the scene and it can get very complicated and technical and they might do I, I can't remember what that sheet was called I don't remember. um i want to look that up because it was very interesting about how many layers there were going to be how close everything needed to be because they would also do like that foreground stuff so that someone's moving behind the well they might do a large background and then everything has to line up and the background you know the character could move across the background and the camera can track the character across that background without showing the full background so they might be zoomed into a little piece of background when it's much larger than everything else that's going on yeah and they talked about in in the special features they talk about there's a sequence where she like runs through a door and runs to a window and then runs to a balcony and so all of that background and foreground exists and is big because the camera is following a certain motion within that space. So they, you know, and I guess that means they get to paint and draw fewer backgrounds and foregrounds because they get to use it across several seconds. So instead of having to do 24 of them for, for each second, that's one that might last a few minutes. Yeah. And I, I would believe that it would also cause a lot more, or a lot less differentiation between each piece because each each little artwork might have a little bit of a difference mm -hmm. if they did if they did like one per like big piece exactly so i think maybe that's why background artists they can afford to put them on a title card there's not that many of them while everyone else is doing you know a, a single character in motion to to get all that down they can work on a more painted detailed background or foreground um, kind of image that gets laid in and things move across it. So I'd say that's probably one of the big differences why they can put or why they choose to put the background workers in instead of the inkers and painters uh, and every individual artist. There's just fewer of them and their work is present for more of the film. You know, an artist might only get a few seconds in but a background painter would be in it for minutes, you know, and they worked very diligently on that detailed thing. Absolutely. So it's a very complicated process, which I am, even with all the experience I have with animation and like seeing features about it, it's interesting. I'm very fascinated by it. Um, one of my favorite stories, one of like, one of like the best stories about background painting uh, is from Batman the Animated Series. I, I, I talk about it a lot. It's, it's a great animated feature <laughs> to watch, and I learned a lot from those special features. But anyway, uh, when they were designing it, a few people wanted to work on it, and they had to like kind of prove that they wanted to work on it. And one guy, I, I want to say it was Radomski, but I'm not sure. Um, he was a background painter working for Warner Brothers, and he had an idea for doing a Batman thing, and he took black paper and he painted on black paper. 
And he took that to them and they said, yes, we want like, we want this aesthetic. So he painted a cityscape onto black paper. He used, so everything, you know, that you saw was color over black and it like, everyone was just like, that's perfect and amazing. And it defined, you know, one element of their aesthetic for the entire series was something he did very quickly to show. It's like, here's an idea. I want to work on the show. Interesting. <laughs> and nobody had thought about doing, you know, like paint this background on black instead of on white. Yeah. Which is, which is a cool thing and it's different and really suits that series. Um, and so I know like to some degree, there's a lot of interesting work that goes into the backgrounds, but it's not something that's often talked about and it's not very dynamic. So they don't show it in special features very much. They usually show, you know, someone with like four pieces of paper between their fingers, like flicking back and forth as they do little lines to make sure the motion is consistent um, because that's a, a more um, dynamic visual of the process to make a, a film. Yeah. Should we move on? To yeah. The next yeah. Thing? Next, next card. Uh, so the next card it's, it just goes back to the, uh, it goes to the book. So the, the Oh, that's the last, that, that's, that's the, the last five, five cards. That's the, yeah. Five animated, four, four animated four cards. Four cards then, of credits. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's eight total going from the Walt Disney productions to the animators. But that includes the, the film title card, the copyrights page and, and the dedication. Yes. Okay. And then four of the workers. Yes. Wow. And and then we're into not quite the movie. No, not quite. It's it's the book that says Snow <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and it's white with gold. Uh, it's like it's, it's a really nice looking thing yeah. and I want to know if that book exists somewhere or like You want to know something? What? That is actually the only live action shot in the whole movie. Well, and, and when it closes, right? Yes, and the, when it when okay. it closes, so it's an well, actual yeah, I, book. Yeah, I, like um, obviously it is. Yes, but not a lot of people would think that it's an actual book. I'm wondering. Oh, it, I totally believe it's a book. Like it looks exactly like a book. Yes, I, I'm very intrigued by how they open it though, because they zoom in and there's not a visible hand or anything. Right, but as the it, zoom it in, opens, it opens, and so like there's enough of a corner missing. I'm like, I think maybe someone is reaching around the camera to open it. Maybe it's possible. That's what I think, but they don't. Like, there's no physical person um, working on that. Right. I wonder if maybe the book could possibly be at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. That would be wonderful to find out. <laughs> yes. I really want to see it in person. I love all the detail on it. Like, Especially... There's a wonderful, like, detailed cover. Um, you can see all the dwarfs in it. Mm -hmm. and, it just, and Now, the whole book says Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but it opens to, like, the middle for these illuminated pages. I mean... If you watch it as it as it opens, it opens just a couple of pages. So, like, there's a couple of pages that flip with okay, the Okay, but, like, this book is a tome. And <laughs> as illuminated as it is, even, like, maybe since it's illuminated so well and, and is only on the right-hand page, maybe it's actually that long. But I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so either. They're, because it's... For the film and not like an actual book for a child to Unless read. Unless it is. Ooh, that'd be cool. But um, I think it 
they had a lot of uh, blank pages yeah, throughout. That's that's my guess. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's like wonderful. I want to know who made this book. If you know, let us know because it's an amazing looking book. Do you know? Yes. Okay. Where where are you getting your information? Cite your source. The Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the creation of a classic. And if you want to buy that, uh, you can go through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. It's a, it's a link through another podcast I work on, but that means the money gets back to us. So a little cut of that money. So if you're going to buy it, buy it that way. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it has a lot of information about the movie. It goes scene by scene, basically. And... So you'll be referencing it a lot. Yes. So which say it again. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the creation of a classic. Okay, creation of a classic. Uh, it says here on page 30 that uh, Gordon Legg did the lettering for the specialist, uh, was a lettering specialist. So, for the book. For the book. So he did like the illuminated lettering, which like they don't just illuminate the first letter. They illuminate like six letters per page. And then the pages were bound into a prop storybook. Okay, so it is a prop book. But it still looks fantastic and everyone who worked on it should feel proud of them. So I don't I don't know who did like the binding. The binding. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if or the person embossed who the did, cover. Yeah, if, if the person who did the binding like helped with the embossing of the cover mm -hmm. or how that all worked. But it's probably prop department people, they just they do these things. They just make amazing looking things. Um, but I hope it is kept somewhere because it's fantastic. And it it's important too, because it sets the tone for this being a fairy tale. Here is this fairy tale book to read from and, and have a fairy tale story. And it sets up the, I mean, in some cases they'd have a narration that would set this up. But in this case, it's just the book. You read it. <laughs> Walt wanted it to have a fairy tale kind of theme as well as be memorable and able to use for all time. He wanted it to be a forever kind of time period for the fairy tale aspect of, of the story and of the book itself. Okay. So what do we, what do we get in the book? We open it up and in the book, it starts with once upon a time uh, and it talks about uh, the queen asking, or no, the queen uh, having Snow White be a scullery maid on the first page. Right. So it says uh, the queen is jealous that her daughter might become, or stepdaughter might become more beautiful than she is. And so she has her dress in rags and work in the oddly vacant castle. Like it's a very empty castle, but we're not there yet. I'm also interested that this establishes the queen as a stepmother. Um, it does not vilify anyone's direct parents, but it does establish a vilification of step parents. Originally, it, this whole story was supposed to start with scenes featuring Snow White's real biological mother, mm -hmm. but those were cut in order to make the film more connected to the whole story itself. Yeah, it, this is carefully put together and, and condensed and very precise. So I trust whatever decisions he's made. I really like all the detail 
on the page itself with all the animals animated on it and then mm-hmm. over by skull well, not Ray, animated but it, or drawn drawn yeah the right. an, the animals that you see later in the film are there yes and there's a the, the brush the brush with a crown on it mm-hmm. to represent snow white it's being very snowy. impressively like done and symbolic i think it's absolutely beautiful yeah. well done gordon leg <laughs> yeah and so do we end on the first page or do we get to the second page we we have a couple of seconds with the second page okay um, so on the second page, my favorite thing is that in the top, in the, in the first letter, you see the queen facing a mirror and you see her reflection. I did not It see is a that. very detailed, do you have that page? Maybe. Um, and it's, it's an amazingly detailed little feature of, uh, the letter E and where it says each day. And it's, it's a fantastic note. What? Um, the page you have there isn't the same as no, it's not. what they have out, but that image of the queen is. And there is the peacock and the... Yes. But they also add a, a dagger a at dagger the bottom. A dagger at the bottom. Uh, on the second page, it talks about the queen... Talking to the talking magic to mirror. the magic mirror. And then wanting... It talks about wanting the huntsman to kill Snow White? Or no. It, it just... Um, I think it, it just says that... Um, oh, what does it say? She asks the mirror who's the fairest and... Um, as long as the mirror tells her that the queen is the fairest, Snow White is safe. See. That's what it says. Right. So it does establish an immediate threat. So you know immediately that the queen is not only cruel, but a threat to Snow White. Which I believe the dagger would represent the threat the that threat. the queen... Yes. Whatever threat that is, the dagger is signifying that there is danger. Right. And that ends what would be in minute two okay so that's minute two thank you for listening with us we hope you'll be back again tomorrow for the next episode of minute three and you will hopefully be able to find us on a website soon uh but until then uh find us in itunes or whatever podcast uh receptacle you use and give us a, a review and a rating and you can also check out my other podcast the protagonist podcast Uh, You can go to protagonistpodcast.com or find it in a podcast app of your choosing. Uh, Thanks, and we'll be back tomorrow.